and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I'm your host, Nicole Poznov, and I'm here with my co-host, Gavin Talametti. And today we're interviewing Alexis Pasquale. How are you doing in this awful quarantine time? Hello, um, all things considered, I'm uh, doing very well. Thanks for having me in this uh, interview. Good, I'm glad you're doing well. I feel like a lot of the times, like the question is not even, how are you? Because it's not, not much changes nowadays. It's more like, what have you been doing that's new in your life? <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's just my case. But anyways, how, how, what are you doing nowadays in quarantine? Well, uh, I, I guess I'm fortunate in that my work is all uh, software stuff. So everything that I can do uh, in my office or in the lab, I can do from home. Um, and, and so all, the, all my tasks, like programming stuff and coding stuff, I, I can do from here. And whenever I need to run experiments uh, on my computer at Western, I can just you know, send my code over there and run it there. So uh, all things considered, I pretty much there's not a lot of disruption in my workflow, uh, I want to say. Uh, obviously, that's not uh, the, the same case for people in, you know, like in the sciences and other uh, areas of study where you need labs and actual physical spaces to work in, right? But I, I consider myself, I guess, lucky uh, in that I can do my work here at home. That's awesome. Let's say, do you miss the lab life at the moment, or are you considering working from home kind of a blessing in disguise? Well, it, it kind of goes both ways for me, I, I feel like, because uh, obviously, you know, the, 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 the mental state of being in the office and going to the lab and going to work is, is something else. Uh, and it puts you in that mindset of, yes, I'm going to work now, I'm going to start working now. But uh, here at home, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of uh, distractions going on. It's just, it's quite easy to, you know, to do something else and, and uh, forgo your work for the day. Um, and a lot of the times that's been happening, actually, you know, just, uh, some days I'm, I'm very productive. Some days I'm super slow and I can't do a lot of work, but uh, yeah, it, it goes both ways for me. And if you don't mind me asking, when when you are productive, what exactly motivates you for the rest of the people out there that can't get themselves to do work? Uh, all right, so I, I feel like you're not gonna like this answer, but try us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> for me, I, I think my my biggest motivator is like booming deadlines. So like, if there's something that I need to get done uh, at, a, at a specific date, then my brain just like turns on and gets into work mode. And that's when most of the productive days come. And then after, after I submit that big uh, requirement on that day, then it kind of slows down until the next uh, big deadline. Uh, I guess that's it for me. Um, it, I, in, I guess more general terms, though, uh, I, I think of it as, you know, just having a set schedule every day of like from, let's say, from 9 to 5, from 10 to 6. Uh, I, I try to uh slot off that time as work time uh and then outside of that then i can do anything uh i can do anything i want so uh within that time slot i, I try and force my brain to turn on sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't uh but yeah only was simple as turning on a computer <laughs> I, I wish it was that easy just flip a switch yeah. and then bam just go to work you know it's like oh crap i turned my motivation off i better turn this back on now yeah. 
Well, that, I, could I could relate to the looming deadlines, though. I always, usually, when my supervisors, I ask them to give me a deadline. Because I know if they say, oh, just get it done whenever, it, I will literally get it done whenever. And that could be months. So sometimes saying, <laughs> years. Yeah, sometimes saying, oh, can you get me a copy in the next 30 days? I'm like, okay, I can get you a copy in the next 30 days. Because now there's, there's now a date and a witness for if I don't hand it in. Yeah. So for all you out there, get your supervisors to give you deadlines. It's <laughs> going to be the next email I send out for sure. <laughs> uh, it's so nice though too. Like it's just, it's impossible for me. But anyways, you're saying something about software and coding, all these words. Tell us what you do. Yeah, sure. Um, so my main work uh, is on um, software engineering. Uh, I'm in software engineering, sorry, I, sh I should say. Uh, and I, I do uh, machine learning and applying artificial intelligence for space exploration. Uh, and my, my focus is mainly on image uh, data sets. Uh, so image classification, uh, object detection, uh, things like that, all in application, uh, or sorry, everything applied in uh, space exploration, I should say. Yeah, uh, should I get into specifics or? Oh, I was about to ask <laughs> well, actually, is a specific space exploration you're interested? Like Mars, moon, asteroids, maybe suns or astronomical features? Uh, yeah, so I guess uh, getting into the specifics, my work is more uh, applied on, let's say, like rovers on Mars or maybe on the moon. Um, satellites uh, as well, like satellites taking images, uh, things like that. but. Uh, mostly it's for uh, for rovers on different planetary bodies um, and I, I try to make it be as, as generic as, as that because really it can be applied uh, in any planetary body but essentially uh, so let's say a, a rover uh, on Mars or in, in the moon uh, they take a lot of images uh, they have uh, hazard cameras they have you know, panorama cameras uh, and things like that and so these images are there, they exist. Uh, and what I try to do is to apply machine learning and artificial intelligence to do, uh, to perform automatic analysis uh, on these images uh, such that, you know, maybe we can find specific types of rocks on these planetary bodies, or maybe we can find new uh, or different instances of rocks or minerals that we didn't expect before. Uh, so that is the general idea for it. And I guess the goal is to help uh, the scientists or the operators on Earth uh, to make faster uh, decisions. Because as, as you know, uh, communication times with, with Mars takes a long time, right? So uh, let's say, for example, uh, like a command sent here on Earth, it's probably going to take you know, multiple hours uh, before it can be performed by the rover uh, in Mars. And so with, with that kind of uh, lag time, what we're trying to do is to have the rover automatically analyze what it already has uh, so that the operators on Earth and scientists on Earth can make faster and better decisions. So you said that it's using the already existing cameras, like you're not adding any new cameras. Are you adding anything to the rover or is all your work uh, focusing on the stuff that's being done from Earth? Uh, so I'm not uh, really adding any instrument uh, on the rover, um, and uh, the, the I guess the advantage of that is that what we're um, adding is just software, um, and it's not very expensive to do that. Uh, so you just 
use existing uh, images that the rover has taken, and maybe we can do the analysis on board the rover so the rover doesn't does not have to send the image back to Earth. Um, and, and so for, oh, so for it's all in situ. That is the goal. Yes. Um, yeah. it, it might be very difficult, though, because uh, computers on different uh, or sorry, computers that are sent to different uh, planets and planetary bodies are not very powerful compared to the computers that we have here on Earth. And so uh, it, it's going to be very challenging doing uh, calculations on board the rover. So it's finding a way to take very complicated data the rover is collecting and to essentially, is it process it through the rover before sending it back is what you'd want to try and figure out how to overcome? Yes, uh, that's exactly it. Uh, because, you know, sending images or sending full images from, let's say, Mars, uh, it, it's going to take a long time uh, to do that. And in, in, the, in the meantime, while the rover is waiting uh, for the opportunity to send the images, it might be able to do some analysis on the image first and then send uh, a snippet of the data back to, the, uh, back to Earth uh, and then the scientists can decide what to do with the image or if the image would have something interesting in it before sending it. Uh, and, and so all of that, I guess it optimizes the data transfer from, uh, from Mars to Earth. And what exactly would be considered interesting in one of these images? Like what is the goal? Like what kind of information would you want to send back? Yeah, so that's a that's a very good question, actually, because uh, really, as as an engineer, um, I have no idea uh, <laughs> what the the rocks are on, on, on different planets, right? Because uh, you you guys are geologists, you probably know, uh, you know, a lot. Of, I'm I'm sure you know a lot more about rocks than I do, and um, uh, <laughs> questionable. That's, but... just, that's just a fact. <laughs> um, One day, mate, I'll take you out to the field. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to be looking at rocks and drawing blanks on what they are. Um, but yeah, so, so even if I don't know a lot of uh, like a lot of things about rocks, what we can teach the computer or what we can tell the computer to find are uh, known images of interesting rocks that we want to find. So uh, let's say, for example, in the Can Moon mission that you guys are also both in. Uh, we knew then that we were looking for mantle zeniths. We knew what they look like. Uh, when we knew from uh, the images sent back by the pretend rover that we had then uh, that they were these green colored rocks. And so what we can do is we can uh, write software that would tell the rover uh, to find these green things. Uh, on the images, and that's what I'm trying to do. So, if we can, you know, let's say uh, the rover takes a picture, uh, and there's a green thing in that picture that might be interesting, the rover can send back that data, saying that, oh, there's an interesting green thing in that in this image. Do you want the whole image? And, and so, with that, instead of uh, sending the whole image uh, right away. Uh, we can choose to discard images that are not interesting, or we can choose to discard images that don't have interesting things in them. 
If anyone's interested to hear more about the CanMoon mission, you guys can go back to our previous episodes. It's basically a mission where we did, it's an analog mission, pretending we're on the moon and we're driving around a rover trying to decide what kind of things to collect. So if anyone's interested for that, go to our previous episodes. But uh, Alexis, so when it's, do you mean like it's looking for specific characteristics like color, shape, size, or is it just, or what kind of features can it pick out? I wanted to add like a little follow-up to that. So if you do have some rock types that we know that sometimes they can look very similar, two types could look very similar, especially in color, shape, and even texture. So is there a way that you're able to program the machines to be able to tell them apart, especially if the images that you're training them with can still return very similar results? Uh that's exactly it. I guess answering uh, Nicole's questions uh, first, uh, the colors, uh, edges, uh, shapes, and things like that, it, these are information uh, that we can extract from images and nothing else. And so that's the, the main, um, I guess, criteria for um, finding these objects. Um, there are other features uh, on the images that we can uh, take a look at, and, and these are um, features also some of the algorithms take into account, um, but essentially they're all just the permutations of color, uh, edges, uh, shapes, and things like that. Uh, and to answer Gavin's question, it, it is uh, very difficult to dis uh, distinguish two different objects if they look very similar to us uh, humans as well. Um, but uh, the, the beauty about machine learning and AI, I guess, is like th they can perform very rapid calculations on the pixels on the image such that they can find underlying uh, patterns that we uh, humans cannot see. Uh, and so it is difficult uh, to distinguish two visually similar objects. Um, but if there's some subtle difference uh, between those two, uh, some algorithms can differentiate between that. Um, and I guess the, another, that brings up another interesting challenge for uh, computer vision and things like these is that uh, the, is, is the problem of, of shadows and illumination, right? So if, if you take a rock, uh, go outside under the sun, take a picture of it, it's probably going to look very different if you uh, take a picture of the same rock indoors, right? So there's that challenge of, you know, all right, uh, two objects can be visually similar, uh, but they are object objectively different but then the same object can be visually different uh, under specific conditions, right? So there's uh, that challenge that we're also trying to overcome. I was gonna ask, what would be, what do you think is the most difficult characteristic to program into this software to distinguish between rocks? Like, would it be this challenge of the light around? So like, just it's like color or what, what do you think is still the most difficult thing to program into this? Uh, I, I think that's it, uh, the, the shadows and, and illumination, because the idea behind um, some of the algorithms that we're trying to uh, use is that based on you know, known images containing the, the rocks that we want to find, um, if the same rock under different lighting conditions exists in a different image, we might not be able to catch that. Uh, and I, I think even now, uh, that problem still persists. With the rise of deep learning and more complicated algorithms, uh, there are ways to go about, you know, 
different differentiating between um, different objects, uh, but they're visually similar, uh, and also labeling visually different objects, but they're the same. Uh, it it is now more possible to catch those errors. Um, but the problem with these algorithms is that they're computationally expensive um, and they're very complicated to train and they're very complicated to, uh, to upload to a rover on a different planet. Uh, and so the challenge there is, all right, sure, we've got this uh, models that can uh, classify different types of rocks successfully and accurately, but then the rovers on Mars can't you know, perform these calculations, then there's that trade-off that we uh, that we have to consider. I guess that's when it comes to new proposals of sending new rovers with this software on, but I imagine that's the more expensive approach for it. But I did want to quickly um, ask, though, uh, since you have, with shadows and illumination causing such a, a huge issue with this um, software machine learning, would you then I imagine you probably have to take like thousands of different images just so the machine could maybe try and see if it could still identify the same rock under different shadows and light. Yeah, uh, exactly. Um, so the, one solution to that problem is to have a, a training set containing the same rock under different lighting conditions and then uh, train the algorithm to recognize uh, this rock. Um, and I guess, there's that another challenge, right? Uh, we don't have a lot of imagery data sets on different planets. Maybe, yeah, we do have a lot of, uh, I guess, images taken by rovers uh, on Mars and on the moon. But then uh, on different planetary bodies, we don't have that, right? Uh, and so that would be one challenge. And I guess even with, with the images that uh, we already have, um, the next uh, step is then uh, labeling things, right? What what do we want to find? Uh, Nicole pointed out earlier, like how do we figure out what we want to find? Well, it's really up to the scientists uh, if there are things in the image in the image images that you want to find, and then it's just a matter of you know labeling those things and going through the images. And even now, I, I don't think we have a lot of that. Uh, so so that's uh, one challenge also for for this kind of problem. That's so interesting to me, like something that would be like color, like color would be something that's like the easiest thing to identify by eye for if you're looking at a rock in a lab. But that's like ends up being one of the hardest things for AI to figure out. Like I find that so crazy. And then things that are so difficult for us to figure out, like textures and sizes and like just like you could have two rocks that are similar in size and we would not be able to tell the difference. But like a machine would be would tell the difference so much easier. And I just find that so crazy. AI is so interesting to me. What do you think about AI in general? Like, are you worried that robots are gonna take over the world? <laughs> so, <laughs> very interesting question. Uh, I, I guess the, the answer is quite nuanced. Um, I, I don't think the, the software itself <laughs> has the capability of turning itself on and you know just running around taking over the world. I, I don't think that's possible. It's um, no Skynet then. Probably <laughs> not. I, I don't <laughs> think so. Uh, although I, there's still a dark side uh, to AI, if you can call it that. And I, I think that is AI being applied 
to wrong things, uh, to just objectively wrong things. And I, I'm pretty sure you've heard of uh, the term deep fake before. Uh, and essentially the concept is uh, taking a video uh, and training an AI uh, such that the, the person in the video uh, would you know, like say things they didn't originally say and they look like they're saying like other things. Uh, and, and so there's um, huge implications for you know, manipulating truth, uh, manip manipulating uh, data and things like that. And that's a very possible thing. Uh, and in fact, that's, that has already happened before. Uh, and, and so I, I guess to summarize, I don't think the problem is in AI itself. It's, it's, the, it's AI being applied on wrong things, on, on morally wrong things or on objectively wrong things. So it, pays, it depends on the hands and the mind of the holder and the creator. It's exactly. I, I think that's exactly it. Some... Well, like I was listening to an Elon Musk podcast and he was saying like, we've, it's already too late. Like they're already self-learning and like, if you can't beat them anymore, so might as well join them and like all this stuff. Like, what do you guys think about that? I, I can understand the beat them part. I mean, well, can't beat them, join them, but there's still many things that AI can't do. I, I understand that the probably I don't know what they were referring to exactly, but I know that you can get some computer games that AI learn from experts and eventually develop the skills to can actually beat some of the like the world champions of games, like of chess. I can't remember that video. It was like a robot was able to beat the world champion because eventually it learns every single maneuver and countermeasure to of any move they could have made, and then it went. So, like, how do you go against that? But yeah, what were you gonna say, Alexis? And, and I, I guess to that point, Gavin, and you know, like that program that can beat a grandmaster in chess, that's the only thing it can do. That, that's what it's trained for. It, it can play very good chess and nothing else, right? At the end of the day, like these algorithms are trained to do one thing and one thing only. Uh, and and um, the advantage uh, of these uh, software against humans is that they can perform very rapid calculations. Uh, that we can't do. So I guess uh, speaking to that chess example, uh, what I'm guessing is that this program has been able to, you know, uh, calculate every permutation of every move possible from one point on, and it was able to decide what is the um, the move that would give it the highest probability of winning, and it was just able to perform that calculation in real time, like, very fast. But if you, uh, you know, they ask that program to do something else, it's probably not going to be able to do it. Uh, and so there's that limitation of, you know, like there's always that human being telling that software what to do and what to train it on. Uh, and again, it goes back to that uh, problem of, you know, they, they, these, these are tools uh, and it's up to the per person wielding the tool what to do with it. Yeah, for sure. But they have like unlimited amount of memory. Eventually, I feel like you could combine all these amazing, impressive things that like single algorithms can do and combine them all into a super robot. Because <laughs> <laughs> don't they have like unlimited <laughs> amount of memory and space to like learn all this stuff compared to us? <laughs> At that point, I feel like, you know, like there's that one advantage that human has, that, that human beings have. And, you know, you just 
flip the switch and it turns off. <laughs> oh, for now, but eventually that, they'll maybe they'll create its own algorithm to just go again <laughs> to no longer have a switch. Uh, so don't kick robots, guys. They'll remember. <laughs> All this times you would kick your what was it the washing machine to, to work or you've got a, your computer it's not turning smack off properly the TV. smack it it's gonna it's remember it. they're like elephants they'll remember <laughs> your laundry wouldn't be as clean the next time you do it your tv <laughs> will deliberately learning. cut it your tv will wait for you to go to your series finale and it will cut off at the last 30 minutes <laughs> <laughs> So just to kind of finish off the podcast, we don't have too much time left, but um, what do you, are you excited for any upcoming missions? I know SpaceX just launched their Dragon. Like, do you have any opinions on that? Yeah, I, I think it's very, uh, it's very interesting. And I also think it's a huge advancement uh, to space exploration because, well, one, the idea of private companies leading launches and two, being able to reuse uh, rocket boosters you know, to make uh, subsequent flights cheaper. I, I think uh, those, I guess, innovations uh, in, in this problem space, it, it only serves uh, to improve the, and it's also to increase the frequency of, of space flight. And so with that, uh, I guess, more frequent flights to the moon would be possible, more frequent flights to Mars would be possible, and maybe in the future, you know, like human flights to Mars. Yeah. Oh, that's mm. like the one exciting thing that happened in 2020. <laughs> Correct me yeah. if I'm wrong, but. <laughs> well, we've still got some months to go. We never know what might happen. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Is there any upcoming missions that you know of you can tell the rest of the world? Yes. So it's this year, I, I think, uh, if I'm not, yeah, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, the new Mars rover would be sent to Mars. Uh, Perseverance, I think is what it's called. Uh, and that's all very exciting. Uh, it's carrying you know, a lot of uh, better uh, science equipment uh, and better computers and stuff like that. So all of that, all of that is exciting. Uh, and the next, I guess, big mission that involves Canada too is like, the Lunar Gateway. Um, so within the next few years, we're going to have a, uh, a moon base that would you know, allow for farther, farther away flights, um, and also for possibly real-time uh, missions on the moon, and, and all that. It's very exciting. And then hopefully the next rover after that will have your uh, algorithms and softwares on them. But I think this is it for now. We have to wrap up. Uh, this has been Gradcast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host. I've been your host, Nicole Poznov, and my co-host was Gavin Telemetti. And we were speaking with Alexis Pasquale today. Thank you so much, Alexis. Uh, if anyone wants to hear more about your work or get in touch with you, is there any social media you'd like to share? Yeah, so uh, all of the projects I'm involved with are are in the Western Space website. Um, so the Canon Moon mission, as Nicole said, um, has it is in that website. Uh, the CubeSat mission at the Western Leads is also uh, up in there, and the Balloon mission um, is also in the Western Space website. 
Awesome. Thank you. Uh, so if you would like to get involved with the show or get in contact with us, email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and any other social medias, basically. Thank you so much, everyone. Have a great night.